0: to see you today. It's been a little bit since I've been on and I was just telling Pat that I feel all out of sorts and so it probably makes him even more nervous. But either, that, either way, it's easy and casual and I'm excited to have you today. Uh, for those of you that are just joining us or have not been on before, um, go to globalhepassociation.org, or you'll find all of our content that we post or other videos on YouTube and now on Patreon, patreon at Association um and you'll be able to see it's a one-stop shop for all of the content videos and things that we've posted but i'm really excited to have you on today and chat a little bit about what you've been up to pat and your experience in this industry i've been following you for a little while now and happy to introduce you but if you wouldn't mind giving yourself a little introduction and tell me a little bit about your background and then how you got into this industry
1: okay well thanks for having me i really appreciate this and uh yeah. So when I get started, uh, well, uh, probably about 27, a long time ago, um, uh, became legal in Canada and, uh, I was so excited because uh, I was basically spoon fed through school. You know, you're the generation you're gonna, you're gonna change it. All this crap that we've done, you guys are gonna fix it. Right. And so <laughs> go. going through the whole party excess, phase and then came out of it you know, and i'm like what am i gonna do and, uh, you know became an electrician uh, um, made a good living uh, and then at the point then it became like well what is there anything more a decade went in with the legalization the seed market had uh, blossomed you know we got a very healthy seed market in canada manitoba harvest is a you know shining star there and uh, After a decade, I'm like, well, where's the biodegradable cups? Where's the paper? You know, where's all the stuff that's going to help us become a little more sustainable? You know, like just the blue box program, you know, put cardboard in there and plastic and it's not enough, right? We got to do more. And uh, so I started investigating how, uh, you know, how can a different way be done that you're not mashing the. Herd into the fiber and then beating the hell out of it to separate it. So instead of uh, combining the two and then separating the two through mil- multi million dollar machinery, having a, a different way, just out of left field. And full disclosure, I'm not an engineer, but I'm very passionate and I have the means to make things happen. But yeah, okay, go ahead. So I have a
0: question really quick. We're talking about you and I, this happens a lot. And I, Absolutely understand where you're at can you help a listener or somebody else understand what we're talking about when we say smashing we're talking about the decorticating process yes. or the separation process in the breakdown of the fiber after yes. it's been harvested
1: yeah typically it's done with a hammer mill um it's basically a shit decorticator if you know your history in the 1930s pre-war uh this fellow shitland brilliant guy uh came up with this idea with uh, scutching rollers and basically you feed the hemp in and it just beats the hell out of it and uh, it's basically a the mechanical version of a hemp break which would just break it into little pieces and then they beat it and beat it and beat it and then you get a decent fiber but um there's a better way to do it and uh, you know if you go back through history and we all know our history to a degree that like at one point hemp was like a currency and uh, You know the the British monarchy like forced people to grow it, and I did a little. I had a few little notes, so I want to do some factoids for you. And uh, it's actually uh, found in the Stone Age, if you can believe it. In the Stone Age, in a Taiwanese village, they found pottery with impressions of cannabis cord in it. I guess the freaking Stone Age. And then you got uh, mainland China in the second century making clothes, and they didn't have Decorticators or hemp machinery. Everything was done by hand, and so they would peel it. And you can actually still buy it in China. Hand-peeled ribbon fiber is about seven dollars U.S. a kilogram. And I uh, just this thing just kept burning inside of me. Like there's got to be a different way to do this. And um, I just you know how when you've got a dream, things kind of open up. And there's yeah, there's a lot of pitfalls and. I went and fell in a lot of them but the first stop yeah it was a machinist an italian machinist uh, post-war where it's probably not politically correct to do this anymore but he told me when he was about 12 years old they had uh, a test it's so he's italian and uh, it basically the test is to see if you were going to become a blue collar worker or a white collar worker like a doctor or a lawyer And so he fell into the blue collar. And so basically from 12 years old on, he learned everything machinist. And so when I met him, he was actually my uh, father-in-law's neighbor, huge shop, like just to the nines of stuff. He would rebuild things like uh, mills, process equipment, just unbelievably smart guy. I gave it to him as an idea. Hey, can you check this out? You know, I'm really interested in this and blah, blah, blah. And he did it. And uh, he was able to uh, demonstrate that when you lay the end of a hemp stock, it's got to be a fiber grade or a dual purpose grade. Uh, then you uh, are able to then uh, mechanically peel the ribbon from the bast, and the, or the, let me try that again, the ribbon from the herd. And so, uh, and any farmer can tell you that when it's actually in the field and it's green, the lignin has not dried, and it's like a glue. So you've got basically a wet glue when the plant is alive, and then it dries, and that's what we've been working on. It's the dry part of it. and when it's, you know, to, to get it in the field is our our really our, our next goal to have a farmer working with us and to grow it the way we would like to um i'm getting ahead of myself okay I, real quick yeah
0: i have a couple of questions when you cut the stock right and it's a fiber grade what visibly looks different for people like what um, I'm
1: glad you asked i actually got some here so when you've uh when you peel the the ribbon from the herd uh, because the fiber is so strong that lift it, it up it, I, I, there I, it. There it Got a little too much light on it, but um, yeah, yeah. So, this is a full ribbon, um, it's coarse. Um, this one is uh, approximately three feet long, and
0: uh, okay.
1: okay, yeah. We basically, um, so if I could go back a little bit, and so that meeting Joe and telling him about this uh, at the time, they'd been basically cutting the tops off the to seed to recover it uh, with a combine processing it. And then the leftover stock, they were burning in the field and that was a dirty little secret. And for years they'd been doing that. And it's just like, you know, for a guy that's expecting, you know, a little more advancement and to hear that they're actually just burning it to get a, you know, some carbon in the soil and just to hell with the atmosphere and air pollution, you know, it's a free dumping ground. I was just like, I couldn't not do anything. And so it started like, you know, a little investigation, doing a lot of research. I went out to Kamloops, a place like four hours away. And the mayor there had actually was promoting hemp, and growing hemp. And actually he had a meeting with him. And I was this starry eyed kid. And uh, he's like, you know, if you don't have a million dollars, don't bother, don't do it. And I'm like, well, I don't have a million dollars, but I'm really interested in this. And uh, so I kept going because whenever someone told me I couldn't do it, it was more of a spur to... watch it. <laughs> so uh, moving forward with uh, Joe, we had to some personal health problems. He had to back away. And then I had this basically a prototype, small prototype, basically a bench model. And uh, this is a long story, you could shut me down anytime. I, uh, yeah, so I'm a subcontractor at that time. I'm doing jobs at a greenhouse. They had to replace their wood boiler. And uh, so what just took wood chips. And what had happened was when you uh, burn, you uh, produce like a carbonic acid and it basically will eat at everything. And so their existing uh, scrubber would basically deteriorate it. So they'd hired this company and they had these scrubbers that were basically like massive washing machines that they would add lime into. And then the flue gas that would come out would be scrubbed and then go out. And that was all well and good. And um, the fabricators that built it for these engineers that were in turn selling it to the greenhouse operator, um, they didn't have money to pay me. So I did all the controls, wired up this whole process. Everything worked great except they hadn't dialed in their pH meters. And so they're basically, it wasn't working because the pH was off and I didn't know how to add the line. So it basically became a bit of a shit show. And, uh, so I was owed a lot of money and then these fabrication guys, uh, somehow they were supposed to pay me. And I'm like, well, you know, Joe's kind of moved on. You owe me a lot of money. I've got this prototype. Maybe you guys can take this to the next level. And it became a bit of a trap because they built it exactly that way. They didn't like it was just a Joe's idea. at work, but it needed a lot more development. And instead of developing it, they just kind of made it a lot bigger. And uh, so I kind of went downhill. Basically, we were able to prove it. I had the National Research Council involved. Uh, they were supporting the project financially. Um, but at the same time, uh, it was basically going to fail because there was no real engineer saying, hey, looking down the road, you're going to need to do this and that. And uh, basically, at the end of it all, the, the one consultant for the NRC, who's the, the ex-process engineer for Coca-Cola, brilliant guy, Daryl Wardrop. And uh, he's like, great. So you're able to demonstrate this linear healing. Now you need to make it rotary and i'm like oh shit like why didn't you tell me that before and so then it kind of started this whole next you know page chapter on that so basically those guys are just i realized they were just yes men building whatever i asked them to but i'm not the engineer so really i'm i need someone that's gonna really help out and blah 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 it ends up uh just through sheer will made this rotary version and it worked just enough not motorized or anything just as a prototype proof of concept and uh, i was able to demonstrate to the nrc look this can be rotary and so they gave me another injection of money and uh, i was able to then get an engineer uh, to do a computer animated drawing actually had that made uh you know laser jet had their water jets Laser cut all the pieces, put it all together, and it worked, but it was limited and it didn't have a lot of variability. So it wasn't very well suited for a commercial operation. So, um, and then at that point, I just refused to give up and I just kept trying different ways and, you know, tweaking different things. And I actually had a guy from Israel helping me out for a while and a great guy, Roman. uh, But at the same time, he was just um, doing kind of what I was saying was really like, oh, well I see the bigger picture. If you do this, then that'd work. And then enter Dave, my current partner, who's a brilliant guy, multiple patents. Um, he came up with the a, uh, a debarker, um, really interesting design. Uh, it didn't fly though, because they're existing debarkers. And I think this is kind of what I'm running into now. So, uh, just to keep things moving so dave was able to hot rod the design but it was still limited in the um uh, it needed to be very uh, confined parameters for the hemp to get peeled and that's not good and uh, i had one of the hemp pioneers i put a video out there of the once everything was done and he's like great so i can retire by the time it's done and he was right um, you know it was limited in what it could do and uh dave's like you know this is quite complicated um you know i think i could make it a little easier for you can you pay me to investigate it and i'm like yes yes please an engineer that is actually interested in making it better yes do it you know so he did it and he came up with this like he can't even thank himself he's like god you know it just came to me in a dream and uh and he showed me and he he built a little wood prototype and it was just like a changed everything um because now the variability was there the speed was there and actually that the way that the design was made that it could be fed top end first basically the machine or feet off the ground and then i saw you know light went off in my head that he didn't know and that's that there is a location in the machine that it could have a degumming aspect. And there was a, a way at the beginning, before I was ready to uh, really understand it, there was a fellow, Terry Barman, one, another hemp pioneer, way back when it first legalized. And he was very passionate about it. And he actually came up with the, uh, he called it a biomimics solution, which is basically uh, an enzyme to cottonize the fiber. And uh, so I sent him these samples. He's like, I really like what you're doing, and blah blah blah. You know, this is going to be huge. But I wasn't ready. And uh, so he actually shared drawings of his degumming rollers. He's like, this works. I want you to have it because we really need to move this forward. And uh, you know, once you get it going, then we can work together and use my bio mimics. Well, that didn't happen. But at the same time, the whole degumming aspect kind of stayed in my back pocket. But I. Well, now, fast forward, now I could see where it could be in the machine. And then once we got to the point where it's like, okay, Dave, we're uh, I think we should build this, you know. I, I like the, the concept, it's simple, you know, it allows a lot of variability. And um, I like the degumming, you can put degumming into it, and that this could be what is really been waiting for all these years. And so, I put the money down. Had the thing cut CNC. We then we fabricated mostly Dave, and he's a brilliant welder to boot. And uh, so he did everything, got it ready. Um, And then we're at the point where it's we're kind of stalled. And basically, there's a bit of greed has gotten into things, which really sucks because he's a God fearing man. So am I. You know, I think we're just part of a grander picture uh, we but uh, it basically at a standstill and uh, he wants to be or I don't want to get too far into this, but we had this agreement and uh, for each stage, he would be uh, getting uh, released the funds. Mm-hmm. And so I gave him the first release, it looked like it, you know we're like this is where I started pumping things up because I'm like, okay, we're at the point where we can prove it. and uh, But we needed the feed system to be able to show it going at the speed that it should be able to go at. So he builds the feed system, and it basically mimics uh, what would be in rows in a field. And-
0: uh, Are you was, heading and redding on field? Or no, are you, is this green? No,
1: no, this, this is gonna blow your mind. So, based on last year's uh, research working with a hemp farmer we're uh, basically copied a 2003 research paper from the university of manitoba where they uh, were able to modify uh, MacDon swather to four feet high so the header bar raised it just above four feet and then what they did was they went through the crop they took all the tops off gently laid them into the field and then where it got a little silly was then they went all the way around the field again, and they uh, then lowered the swather to ground level, and then they went through it again, and then they made a windrow of the stalks. Um, so
0: the stalks are in on ground then, laying in the ground?
1: The stalks are in the ground, yes. And so uh, what we took from that was, what if there was a, a swather at the height to take the tops off, and then, like a sickle bar attachment down low to take the bottoms off but we don't want the stocks well I, I, again there's an evolution and a lot of learning at the time i thought the stocks would be left in the ground uh, like just in windrows and then they'd be picked up but what happens is there's no end like there's no beginning and end it's just one continuous stream and this is where i was running into trouble with farmers they're like, i got bales from years ago can you use them i'm like no because they're all broken and random and no the beginning and end. And so, with Dave's design and with the way the rows go, that if we were to cross cut that field, have the, the top cutter, uh, which we prove works, and it prior research proved it worked, and actually by doing it earlier in the season, a little earlier, I talked to some seed breeders and they're like, that'll dry really quick. So you don't want to leave it in the field too long. Because what will happen is it'll dry too fast, and then it'll shatter as the combine picks it up. So, like, like that's a consideration. Um, but really, it can be totally overcome by just doing it when it's ready to be done. And so what happens is we've got the uh, tops get windrowed. And in the same machine, which is going to end up being, like, probably the length of a bus, um, top header takes the tops off. Now we're left with approximately four feet of this stalk. And because it's a fiber crop, that it's a lot denser. There's no branching to speak of. And basically the concept is to uh, a lower, more like a paddle wheel header bar behind the swather, down lower, taking those leftover stalks, feed them over at a lower ground level sickle bar, you know, just a, a few inches off the ground, just just high enough that we're just above that bark barky bottom, so we have a more consistent fiber all the way up. That then cuts it, drops it onto a I'm just going to super simplify it like an elevator, and then that elevator is timed to feed each row into the, the ribbon decorticator. And it's going at such a high speed, and we're using the rows as our timing. It never touches the ground. So the stalk gets pulled into the machine. The herd is going at such speed, it's getting thrown into a chipper, uh, basically a corn forager chipper. And, you know, the big shoots that you see in those huge operations blowing into a trailer, so the herd never touches the ground. The characteristics stay consistent. There's no microbes of dirt interacting with the herd and causing it to degrade and change where... uh, Downstream processor would be like, hey, this is not like the last crop; it's different. Well, it has to be the same because we're doing it right. It's not touching the ground; it's all getting chipped, and then at that point, now you've got chipped herd that can get taken away to say a pellet mill, and then now your logistics—you compressed everything—and then it can be distributed to whatever multitude of herd, you know, energy pellets, you know, paste sure.
0: her yeah. So Textiles, but um, like yeah, you're talking and about and supplying with this ribbon decorticator long fiber, long. Yes.
1: Like yes. That, fiber, right. Samples I've handed them out to engineers, and uh, the most important ones were in the NRC and the CIC, which is the Composite Institute, and they said that if that fiber is degummed or the ribbon, raw ribbon is de- first degummed and then caught. My excuse me. Not really, I don't want, like to say the word cottonized, whitened. It's whitened. So it's all the same color, basically. Then it's useful for composites. And then you could then card it and then go through spinning mills and textiles. So we're targeting composites to begin with because it's the least amount of steps to monetize the ribbon. And so that's our third commodity. Yeah. Go ahead.
0: talk to me about the benefit of the ribbon like what's the appealing piece to this t- type of decortication or processing So this what, understand, of, like what is the end user really looking for that this is a solution
1: okay that, no that's a good question because the ribbon now this goes back to the beginning like 12,000 years ago approximately when they were peeling it. And when they're peeling it, you're not introducing the coarse herd. And then when you like basically scrubbed off that degumming, uh, the outer thinner epidermis, the bark, you want to call it, then now you start to get a softer fabric and it's so strong. Like there's documented, uh, you know, like cannabis is a derivative of canvas. And, you know, in the, the Vikings, they used it for a rope. Sales, talking, you know, and uh, lace, you know, like they don't really talk about it, but you know, when you, you hear of lace, you think, oh, that was flax. No, it's flax and hemp. You can actually make the finest linen out of hemp because it's so strong. And so, this ribbon that we're producing, and I, I didn't actually uh, finish out was that with the herd getting chipped and then put into a trailer that's accompanying the machine, the ribbon it basically is being thrown into a round baler. And so we've got basically pure ribbon on an onboard round baler. And then at that point we can scale this, right? And then that round bale would then be emptied out, taken off field, and then it can be dried and then further processed. And then boom, now it's composites. And so with the composite institute saying that yes, that is a viable product. NRC they saying, so the Composite Institute, they're like, with composites, yes, degum it, whiten it, we will take it, anyone will take it. And then on the textile side, uh, use our enzyme. Uh, They've got a, NRC has a, for, geez, a decade, like, um, uh, these guys here, I got my hemp shirt on, just in, you know, solidarity, hemp town. And they, uh, they became a whole, uh, HT Naturals, and at that point ht naturals worked with nrc and they formulated this heat tolerant enzyme and then they parted ways and then the nrc is still able to license this enzyme and uh, they put their enzyme in it and terry barman he used his biomimic solution on it and they were able to whiten it it was freaking amazing i don't i have those samples like i've got them buried somewhere but it was, this was so long ago um But it basically looks like this.
0: Uh, Well, and I'm curious about that degumming phase, right? This is what everybody talks about in the U.S., is this de-gumming piece.
1: It's huge, yeah. Yeah, who's doing that? Um, A lot of guys are 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 doing it separately. So they'll get their bales, or there's another fellow um, in Montana that uh, they're drying it right away. He's got a novel process, and I wish him the best of luck. But um, basically, I, I gave them this ribbon, and this is a sample, and it basically came as hard to see with this light, but it, uh, it basically just whitens it, so it's more of a consistent color, and the beauty of it is there's no chunks of herd. Like, you see all these uh, small...
0: Is there a secondary processing then? So this is the like this is actually the harvest and the first processing piece, right? And then from here it'll go to a secondary processing where the degumming, the whitening, is yeah. that right? Yeah.
1: So what we are seeing it um, and it's a viable way to do it because the degumming can be on board. So as it, this thing is like a green waterfall, rows going into it being. Uh, peeled, uh, degumming. gumming can't say when, but it's being de uh, inside the machine, and then that uh, the ribbon that's coming off, um, like way back in the beginning, my, my consultants, like who's going to buy this four foot long ribbon? Like nobody wants it, like there's no market. But when you have uh, the fiber already separated from the herd, you're miles ahead, and like the fellow in Montana he was saying, like, oh, we take it off, they take the whole nine-foot crop with our special cutter onto a conveyor, and then we uh, dry it, and then we then give it to the downstream people who then degum it, and then further process it. And like, well, you don't need to degum it after. That's another expensive step. Like, what if you can in the field get your and and this is whole the whole thing started with a dual purpose crop seed and fiber crop and the fiber is getting burned in the field so it always was how do we utilize that leftover stock and at what point you know and then there's oh, so many guys doing their own thing and i you know I'm oh,
0: yeah. and, and you have to think too is regulations you know I, I always wonder about this when you bring up like dual purpose crop and i wonder for the textile industry is that something that's sustainable this is this is a conversation I wonder about because in China they're doing it and in other countries they're doing it, right? And it's, um, what? Why not here, yeah, North America? Well, yeah, and so I'm, I'm curious about this step and how do you fulfill a fibrous plant? And a four foot plant is pretty, like, like what is the full length of your crop? Cause that's short compared to a lot of the industrial harvest I hear
1: yeah so typically like you can let it grow like if you uh, plant when the soils approximately you know 10 degrees celsius i'm sorry i am not know if is, uh yeah. then basically you get your seed germinated and uh i know people say it's drought resistant well yeah once it's established but you need to baby that thing that seed for about two weeks good watering good fertilizer don't let people see you don't need to fertilize it Fertilize the shit out of that and then you know, so you have a healthy crop irrigate it, you know, get it going to the point where it's established the Canopy takes over and then it crowds up so there's you know, and then um, You know I heard about silica being a, a necessary component to strengthening the, the The core make it stronger in any heavy winds and such but, uh, So it's been a lot of learning and I am not saying I'm a no all I am not an agent lectures and uh, basically, I'm just passionate about this, and I want it to happen. I don't want to get ripped off for all the hard work and you know sacrifices I've made, and my family's made. But at the same time, it's necessary, you know. And it's,
0: it's opportunity. It's, opportunity. I mean, it's knocking at our do- door right now, right? We it's have this absolutely. big opportunity to make change, and um, yeah, I. I'm fascinated by the the ribbon you're able to pull. And what I look at is this industrial market for tarps or boats or sails, or ro- I mean, yeah. the ropes, you know, we talk textiles on a fine grade fiber, but yeah. what about, yeah, what about the rest of the industry?
1: Yeah, this, is, well, this is samples from uh, hemp traders. So it's a hundred percent of hemp. And okay. uh, my understanding is it's still in use for uh, heavy, Cargo ships, and uh, okay. yeah, it's just an amazing, you know. And then you get your your canvas. I don't know if you can see that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just amazing. Like uh, I'm such a believer, but at the same time, I get it. There's a lot of guys that'll smoke a joint and then be like, "Let's do this." <laughs> it's like, you like dedicated research and you got to keep grounded because there are a lot of folks that are entrenched in the way the status quo, they don't want it to change. Hemp became illegal for a reason, and actually, technically, if you really get into it, it never really became illegal. They just taxed it out of existence and it became so difficult that
0: they made it no longer no longer cost effective, right? And and I think that's what we're running into now. In order for us to really bring it mainstream, we have to have this piece figured out so that we can scale it and become competitive in cost, right? It's this, yeah, the chicken before the egg or the supply and the demand. And I, um, I really appreciate that you gave a good example of the hard work that this has taken. People ask me all the time, if hemp's so great, why aren't we just using it?
1: I know, it's the technology. The technology yes, is in it. In it. Yeah, there's a lot of guys out there, well-meaning guys, very brilliant guys, and they've got multiple patents and they've got all the engineering experience at their fingertips. And they're they're thinking, and I'm not taking away from them. I, I'm totally appreciating anybody in this space. Anybody that's actually doing something and not just talking about it, right on. If they're just talking about it and they don't do anything, Get, get lost. I don't, I don't have time for you. And uh, basically what they're doing is they're reinventing existing technology because that's what engineers do. They're like, okay, that worked. So let's use that and make it better. You're still beating it together. You're still crushing it all into a big mess. And then you're getting more machinery to separate it. And even these guys are like, Oh, this is, this is great. Oh, it's not great. I can see the herd. Like that's still got to get taken out. And I actually got in an argument. This guy, uh, Alberta innovates, you are supposed to be helping. And I but you don't sue me. But I talked to the guy that's like they've got a Van Dommel machine, and uh, they've had it for like probably over 15 years. And I said to the guy, uh, what about the, the textile quality? Oh, that's another attachment of like. Why don't you put it on? Like, what's the deal? It ain't no matter, Oh, well, a lot of space and blah blah blah. <laughs> I don't get it, man. I just, I'm sorry. Like, you want a high quality fiber for textiles and composites because we all know that the strength to weight ratio is actually better than steel. And then you can, and it, the way that it works, and a lot of people get confused with this because. Um, It's sort of flexible and so it it lends itself to uh, turbine blades and wings in planes. So it can have, it's light, it's strong, and it can handle being a little flexible. And so, really, when you go toe to toe as a structural component and say uh, glass fiber, hands down, it'll beat it. And then, if you introduce, okay, well, let's factor in the carbon footprint. Well, how do you make glass? Well, that's a blast furnace, you know, and you're you're melting sand, right? And then you're extruding the the glass into bats, and and then you know you you take concrete, for example, like hempcrete. You know, yes, it's not a different component. It's not structural, but it can be used for all your interior walls. And um, I, I did a lot of research way back, and in the UK, they've got hundreds of uh, buildings. And the most one notable that I remembered was uh, brewery because uh, the humidity naturally breathes. and they said their heating and cooling requirements went way down. And it's like, well, if it's better,
0: why don't we use it,
1: right? And so I
0: got a question: Do you need, or does the industry like the automotive, um, uh, aerospace? You know, I imagine NASA for. Uh, rocket ships, you know, if it's got the strength and the durability that it, it does, what I hear, are they more attracted to this long fiber? I mean, is that what they're using to build their um, like no. fiberglass? I mean, in fiberglass, you get these long strings, oh,
1: right? Yes, and it should be uh, quite small for textiles. But um, to, to answer your question, see, this is the problem: is the timing? Our timing was off. So probably about uh, seven years ago, Boeing, uh, they were experimenting with it. MAGN International were experimenting with hemp. Problem was, was the manufacturing and processing wasn't really there. And so they're getting this lower quality fiber they're using. And it's like, yeah, it could be good. Um, And then to answer your question with the the ribbon that we're producing, I see uh, different new processes like Utilizing that full ribbon for, say, um, concrete reinforcement, say, in um, take a rack, somewhere like a a war torn place where you'd you'd have concrete and then you'd like reinforce it. You might have seen it, they'd reinforce it with fiberglass. Mm -hmm. That's my own personal thing, but I'm again not an engineer, it's just a thought. But you can cut that ribbon to length, you can get the exact parameters that you need. And so it basically, be just to follow that stream through. So bales of ribbon taken off site, dried, and then unwound, and then put through uh, the enzyme, put through carding. And then at that point, depending on the end user, it for textiles, for composites, then it would be macerated, existing technology, basically cutting it to length. And uh, what I'm really excited about is there's a fellow that was using recently the hemp ribbon and he was uh, carbonizing it through torrefaction.
0: Say what? Uh,
1: tor- ancient technology they used to make charcoal. And uh, basically what he was doing was he carbonized this, basically turned the ribbon into like a form of charcoal and he was making it as a precursor to carbon fiber. And then you've heard about all these supercapacitors and, Move over graphene, you know, hemp is a lot cheaper to make. And that's what I see. Like if we're able to why fiber? Yeah, take it off maybe. the field, dry it, maybe even not dry it, carbonize it right off the back. Like, holy yeah. shit.
0: Why yeah. I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious about the carbon factor, why the the ribbon fiber is the benefit. Is that where all of the but carbon is
1: is in the the outer the fibrous part, not the herd. The herb is got fibers in it. They're a lot finer. Um, sure. You can use the bast fiber. The bast is the the rope, the the textiles. And then right. the and it, with the herd to me, I would just be like chipping it and then using it for the major blind spots, which is paper. Um, wood flour for plastic, um, uh, you know, hempcrete, animal band- this- low yeah, low quality, like basically just uh, a cellulose. You want something that, starting from an engineer's standpoint, they'd be like, I want something high cellulose. Well, hempcrete, so that, that's, I, that's where I would leave that. So we got three commodities off the field, the seed which has been cut higher than normal, and so there's less of the stock, and there's more of the uh, chaff, which then could be a low-grade CBD oil coming off the combine, using you know, on the, the tailings of the combine. So the seeds all being processed inside the combine, and the chaff, which is getting spit out the end, well, you've got a lot less stock, and a higher concentration of the leafy buds, in theory, and I'm not pursuing this too much, but I'm, I hope somebody does. Is that you could get a low-grade CBD oil out of that? And as breeders increase the concentration of CBD oil, well, uh, CBD in the plant, you can have a dual purpose. I see it like I see it happening. Like it just—it's inevitable. You've got breeders, brilliant breeders. Thank God for them. What they've done over the years, and they keep doing it. They're not stopping. They're not patting themselves on the back. Hey, good job. Let's move on to the next. <laughs> no yeah no they're still doing it now the cbd is a big thing they're trying to uh, year by year increasing the cbd content so hypothetically and it's actually viable they've already got a dual purpose uh has been uh grown in kentucky since 2016 that's a dual purpose crop helena is another one and um uh, and up here in canada Anka is a good one canada like parkland hemp growers Chris Federovich, there, amazing guy. His dad was one of the pioneers, and uh, amazing guy. I actually, let me—he let me stay at his place. Well, not really down the road. <laughs> he helped me down the road. I wasn't again. I wasn't ready, but it's those connections that I learned. Right? Failure is learning, and yes, I failed a lot, but I just never gave up. It was learning, and so now we're at the point where we're right at the doorstep. We're about to knock. And then there's this greed component rearing its ugly head. I know it, it's going to work out one way or another. We're going to work this out because this design is going to change everything uh, because it's lending itself to working in the field. And so what we're hoping to see happen soon is uh, hopefully through you or, or somebody like you to uh, get us in tune with a purchaser that's like, okay. Uh, I've got your samples of ribbon. I see the potential, uh, how a technology can provide this consistently. Uh, we will guarantee a, a purchase order of this many tons. And then I could take that and there'd have to be a guarantee that they'd buy it. Otherwise it'd be like consolidated hemp growers back in 99 that bankrupted a whole bunch of uh, Canadian hemp farmers, basically decimated the fiber industry for years. Um, so a guaranteed, Purchase agreement and ideally a deposit We take that deposit we build the machine and I would take that contract to the hemp farmer and be like, okay, we need to grow this much. So if you, you know, believe in us and you see that, you know, what we're doing, I will grow this, I will babysit it and then I've got a combine. And then what we would do is we'd go to their field when the time's right. We would harvest his tops, leave it in the windrow. We would harvest the leftover stock right in the field. And then he would come in or she would come in uh, a few days later. Once the seeds are at the right moisture content, they would be all collected. And then we would, uh, I'd be inclined to be like, here, take the seed. That's what you're doing already. And then we'll give them a cut of the fiber and the core. herd, just to get things started. And then once that model is perfected, and other uh, manufacturers and purchasers see, hey, the technology is the key. With that technology and that process of not letting it touch the ground and a programmed, you know, certain strain, it's not like a free-for-all. Oh, try this one. I'll give you that one, and uh, you just take what I give you. No, it doesn't work like that. It's got to be consistency, and through consistency, we're going to scale it to the point where we're able to then. Duplicate that model, license it abroad, ideally in uh, continents that allow for multiple crops a year, and then we're on our way. But mm-hmm. I'm right at that point now where it's like, well, show us the video. I'd love to show you the video, but at the same time, I'm in a bit of a tough spot. It's got to work out, but I'm stuck. So I hope you guys, you know, keep up the good fight. Keep getting people together, know that there is another technology on the horizon. And it's just a matter of time that it's going to make it so. Well,
0: and I think you said it well, right? I think I've seen more and more. A lot of the emerging technology is old processes or processes that were used. Like you said, hand peeling, you know, the going back to this value of this ribbon and what's there and um, compared to what we know and being able to explore. We're gonna see a big influx of technology come in just like we did in the CBD industry. And then we're gonna see the new and emerging, right? We're starting to see other industries come into the hemp or hemp and other Mm -hmm. industries really emerge. And I think that's when we really open up these new opportunities. And then also as fast as we can get it into our kids' hands, they will change the world with it. And they wholeheartedly, if we can pave the way and give them some direction, um, or opportunity, they,
1: you know, I have to ask my kids how to download music to my phone. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you know I, I, I don't know if a lot of people like to talk about this because it's uncomfortable, but giving kids hope. Because yes. they, they've got technology at their fingertips. They know what's going on. They know what's going on in the Antarctic and the Arctic and how, you know, the weather's going crazy and like it's scary. I couldn't imagine being a kid, you're like helpless to these politicians that are just haywire you know uh, you know whoever's got the most money you're like, no it's not about who has the most money it's like what is the best thing for society and hemp is a good thing for society no you can't get high off it like come on people like marijuana and hemp yeah they look the same i get it why you'd want to test it but here's the you're something why would you ever grow a marijuana field out in the open, when you can get it cross-contaminated with hemp, you get a low-grade hemp, uh, marijuana. Who smokes low-grade marijuana? Nobody. Like, what is it, like 20 30% concentration now? You want, like, there's connoisseurs of marijuana. They would laugh at that. So really, you think about it, it should be 1% piece. Like, they're just doing the same thing in a different way. Instead of taxing it out, you have to bring it in because it would probably be anarchy if they didn't. But let's make it, let's keep that 0.3 THC, even though it's stupid. And it just restricts the market. Like, it's like they're allowing it to kind of make themselves look good. But really, they're still throttling the industry. And it's choking people out, you know. Like, there's guys that want to go big. And if their crop goes hot, then they lose their crop. Their
0: loss. The
1: risk is too big. And there has to be,
0: you know, and I think that as we're moving I've I've had a number of interviews explain it really well that one, the CBD market hijacked the hemp industry. It's not, it's not the same. I mean, really, when it comes to what our capabilities are, the way it's processed, the way it's grown, the male plant versus the female plant, especially in the textile. Right. And I, it's an agricultural crop. I see cannabis, you know, high THC and low THC crops as like a wine or a craft beer. Exactly. They're grown the same way, right? Yeah. Or or will be, yeah.
1: Yeah, well C B D crops are grown differently or should be grown differently because they're more like a Christmas tree, right? Like you want it to look like marijuana because that's is. is in the buds, right? But um you know, and so for our process You know, this whole influx of CBD, it's like, no, we can't use CBD. It's not a fiber crop and there's way too much branching. Right. Right.
0: Well, and you just said it, someone just asked a really good question. I wish I could see who it was, but what is the most important hemp innovation you've seen so far? What's your, in your opinion?
1: Hemp innovation. That's like gone mainstream or.
0: Oh, give me both. What do you think? What do you think is coming down the pipeline? And when, what's, what's right. out there,
1: you Say that again? Well, what's next I think would be, what's coming down the pipeline is gonna be uh, carbonizing the fiber of the ribbon, particularly, because then it's like, then it becomes like any other carbon fiber. Um, so that's gonna be a big one. And then when people realize that the ribbon is the way that it was done at the beginning to get these lace and high quality clothes, and when it's degummed, it doesn't have to be coarse. Like, you don't have to mix it with cotton. Like, this is uh, 40% cotton. I wish it was 100% hemp, but I would probably be scratching myself all the time. But uh, the biggest innovation, probably, well, I hate to say it, but well, is CBD, you know, like, it's been big. Um, uh, oh, i got to do the seed. Being able to be used for uh, animal feed. Little bioreactors, they eat the seed, they put it into their muscle tissue, and then it gets consumed by people. That's probably going to be one of the biggest innovations. So I'm really rooting for the seed market to get into the animal feed because once that happens, and even the um, leftover biomass, like the, when they're chewing their cud and everything, and they're or not chewing the cud, but they're chewing that biomass, the leaves for cows and whatnot, uh, that would be still it's it's all good like there's nothing bad about the hemp plant and
0: that's why Well, and it's they're proving that now right i've seen a number of farmers that'll crack you know they're chicken farmers and they'll crack one that has been fed uh hemp and one that has not it's been fed other grains and the color of the yolk the size of the egg the omegas everything about it that's better um it's just and there's a lot of groups
1: like, yeah, well, there's a lot of
0: groups out there now that are pushing the success of it. And so, uh, shout out to. Here.
1: Yeah, well, yes. it. because they're like little bioreactors, like you know, like it's we. You need a pharmaceutical industry to take that feed and produce, you know, the the components and all the nutrition. Like, it just blows my mind that you know, like there. I don't know if this story is true, but there was a story about a monk who lived up in a mountain. He would take one seed and a glass of water a day, and he lived for like 40 days. Like it's amazing. Like the, I'm just so in. Like for them to say, you know, the, what did they call that? The whole reefer madness and the devil's weed and how all these Christians think it's bad. I'm like, wow, are you ever confused? I think it's really a gift. You know, like how can it be that a plant that has never killed anybody, you could smoke it and you'll never die. <laughs> How is that listed with heroin and cocaine? I don't get it, and still, it's like, what the hell? Like, there's something more at play, and that is uh, a threat. It's a threat to the wood industry to a degree, with paper, pulp industry, see. it's a threat to the oil industry with oil and plastic, and it's, a, a, it's a, basically a, a threat to cotton because, in, you know and you look at those three mega like just entrenched super powerful commodities and they're not gonna give up without a fight and then they're and they're not gonna be making themselves out to be bad guys so they'll do little subtle things oh let me uh, buy your technology and then we'll just shelve it you know like so we gotta be really careful with who we're working with and that's why I'm lucky and I feel like blessed and grateful it has been painful, but I know that suffering builds character, and it's going to happen, and I'm self-funding it. So I'm not ex- expecting any money. I tell anyone that wants to help me or in any shape or form, and I really appreciate what you're doing, is um, let me prove it to you, and then let's work together. So I'm just at the point where I'm like, I'm waiting now, too. It will work itself out, but uh, it's not just time.
0: You know this is something that comes up we only have a couple more minutes but i want to address this because there's a lot of skepticism in people that are not really educated about the hemp plant or the potentials of the hemp plant right or that are were misled to think you know oh it's you smoke that's what you're doing with hemp and they don't realize that you know, when you look around pretty much everything you see you can be making out of hemp
1: yeah. you
0: making great and yeah. so
1: yeah. say what uh, gasification, and maybe that would have been added to the other innovation we spoke of a little while ago, is that uh, gasification, it's uh, World War II technology. It's all public domain. There is no patents on it. FEMA has it for emergency use. ball hell breaks loose. Build a gasifier and you've got fuel, basically. It's uh, basically a form of wood gas, pyrolysis gas. It's all the same thing. Why not take that CBD leftover core, which is basically kind of useless, except for animal bedding, Gasify it use it as a fuel. It's similar to natural gas. You can power a generator with it, you know, you can um, Fuel a boiler, you know heating, you know, like there's just huge like Opportunity and it's really the sky's the limit and what happens is people just see all these things that can be done And it just blows their mind and then they don't do anything. It's like focus on one thing so for me it's not so much about focusing on the textile like exactly what they need no it, let me get this technology perfected and then we'll see what happens but it's all about the riveting uh and using the leftover seed fiber crop and so that's been the whole basis of everything but um
0: well in the dual crop right yeah the uh, dual ten, crop is where it's i think to so be food another- you know, you know, that's another thing that comes up a lot. And it, I'm curious, perspective. I'd like to continue this conversation. But when we're harvesting crop for food versus fuel, you know, this is a we're robbing Peter to pay Paul. And mm-hmm. so I'm, I really am, you know, this dual crop is much more appealing when we're able to hit a dual market. It just depends on.
1: Yeah, but when you've got a com- three commodities off of one plant, which is nowhere else and no other plant can do that. And at least three, you know, it could yeah. be more with the CBD, oh, yeah. right? So when you've got that, uh, those three commodities, uh, you basically each one subsidizes the other. And right now seed is at, well, you know, non-organic, what? 65 cents a pound ish, somewhere hovers around there. Organic a little more, but you know, like biodiesel, I don't know if you know much about biodiesel, but Duramax diesel, you know, Isuzu, uh, Motor, Duramax, Diesel, uh, they've actually way buried, and this is, again, back in the day doing research, that they've a 100% hemp oil from crushed seed to go into their tank and power that engine will not void their warranty. Like, it's freaking amazing. And the lubricity, which is basically, um, think of Diesel as more of a lubricant and gasoline as more of a solvent. So with the diesel, it's actually better than diesel, but it uh, on the downside because I don't want to be that guy just all about pump, pump, pump. Mm-hmm. There's bad sides to it, that too because it's organic and it's susceptible to uh, organic like bacteria forming and gelling, you know, in cold weather. And so you add uh, about 10 to 15% regular diesel, problem solves pretty much, and then you can modify that to a, a form of kerosene and the whole jet industry, the whole, you know, like things change quickly. And I don't think it would be a threat to the food industry because there's just so much acreage and so many uh, entrepreneurial farmers. And that's what I love about America is that you guys are so entrepreneurial. Are, uh, that it's like, we'll, well, every other country will do their own little thing, but you guys, you're like the, barnum and bailey of the, the whole thing you know like you bring it all together i'm like a huge fan and i live close to the border and i am a huge fan of america like i don't like i don't want to be an american like it's kind of scary but at the same time you know like the spirit that spirit will never change and that's what i love about you guys
0: well and i, I appreciate rubbing shoulders with people like you and supporting this industry right we're gonna we're gonna rise the tide, and all these boats are gonna follow right along. And so I, yeah, I'm just really passionate. I'm really passionate about connecting. I'm really passionate about continuing to develop this. If anybody else is looking to reach out to you, Pat, or wants to touch base on your technology or learn more about what they're doing, how do they reach out to you? We uh,
1: website, which is maybe a little outdated. I am <laughs> updating it. I'm kind of doing everything still. So forgive me uh, if it looks a little outdated. I'll uh, I'll do an update soon. But uh, info at canfiber.com is our email. Uh, www.canfiber.com is our website. Um, Canfiber has its own LinkedIn handle. Um, And then I'm just out there. Uh, My alter ego is on LinkedIn. Uh, You know, everyone has to pay for what their dream is. And for me, it's uh, power generation, backup generators, you know, funds, everything. So I uh, when people try to connect thinking I'm a backup generator guy, I see I kind of ignore them. So I'm uh, sorry, but, uh, you know, I like my alter ego. One day it'll be hundred percent, but you know, I gotta,
0: you know. It's awesome. <laughs> well, if anybody else needs help reaching out or wants to connect, uh, don't hesitate to reach out to me as well. Follow us on Global Help Association. our website is globalhealthassociation.org. You can check out memberships, apply to be on the interview, as well as find any of our other past interviews or a few of them that are posted on the site. Um, Pat, I invite you also, we've got an educational series coming up here every Thursday. Um, I started hosting a couple weeks ago. I've done a few. Um, I had Hannah from Czech Republic and Jeff actually from up in Canada, your way. But um, this month, speaking specifically to farmers and uh, its Q&A format, um, I will share the link or drop the link and send you an email as well. But we're gonna be breaking down different pieces of the supply chain. So next month will be the processing piece. I'd love to have you on for a potential Q&A panel with a couple of others where we can actually get in discussion, excuse me, discussion and kind of move this along. What I find is, Sometimes when we host these and myself included, if I don't understand, I just listen. And so I love having others that are actually, you know, up to their neck in it because they understand and they can really push the conversation further. And yeah, so I'd love to invite you to join. I'd love to invite everybody else that's listening to also join. but yeah, other than that, we'll see you next time.
1: Thanks Mandy, I really appreciate it. Thanks everybody in the industry. Keep up the good fight, it's gonna pay off.
0: Absolutely. We're in it together. Like I said, I'm, I invite you to join. I'm excited to continue this relationship. So, thank you very, right. very much.
1: Okay. Oh, and on a side note, uh, your partner, Michelle, says you're looking too skinny. So, you got to start using more. <laughs> okay?
0: I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. Right. We'll see Speaking of, we're going to be at NOCO this next week. So, if anybody is going to be there and listening, give us a shout out. Are you going? No? I'm there in spirit.
1: There's a fellow Cameron there and uh, he's I'm gonna be speaking to him actually after this, but uh, okay, yeah, cool. spirit. And I'll get the blow-by-blow blow afterwards. But uh, yeah, we feel be the best here.
0: We'll be in touch. Okay, okay. thanks, guys. Yeah. All right.